so we're in the book of Genesis, as you know. We're gonna actually going to move along a little bit today, but I usually dwell pretty long on things, as you know. I just want to make sure that you understand why we're talking about all of these stars and all of these zodiac and all of the, the signs in heaven. And that, again, they were given as the scripture before scripture was written. To this day, there's threads of this truth running through, again, through mythology. It's sort of, if this is the thread of truth from beginning to end, this is the unchanging tr truth, this lateral line. There are branches off this line that Satan has made. Branches into Roman mythology, branches into Greek mythology, mythology, the ancient Mayans, the ancient Sumerians. This is what we're talking about. Throughout history, it seems all people, except those who have been very close to God, and unfortunately, even the Jews themselves, who were privy to the main line of the truth, have gone off on tangents and are sticking to the various untruths, the various versions of untruth that really map into the line of the truth. And again, we said the best way to tell a lie is to take the truth and twist it because it makes it a lot more believable. It has a persistence over time, a better persistence. And it's a, it's a, it, I think it's a fact because I've seen this in, in many things and you probably have too. People can tell lies, lies come and go. But if they tell a lie that's mixed with the truth, there seems to be persistence in that. So think of it. So we're talking about the creation of the earth and the human beings, but we're talking about also today, and I've been promising this, and we're going to get this today, we're going to detail, we're going to detail, and I was studying this deeply this morning just to get to the end of it for myself, and the conclusion of when Jesus Christ was born. Because remember, there was a specific sign given in the sky. Are we all aware of that? So why is everybody so confused about when Jesus Christ was born? By the way, we do know that Jesus was not born on Christmas. Did anybody not know that? You don't have to raise your hands because I don't want you to, if you feel it's going to be embarrassing to you. But he was not born on Christmas. He was not. And it's provable. We can know when he was born. The Jews have since, since the beginning of time considered Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishri in the Hebrew calendar, the birthday of the world. Do you know when Rosh Hashanah was this year? It was September 29th. It was actually that, that sun now. That's the head of the year. That's also, they believe that it was the birthday of the world and, of course, Adam and all of those underpinnings. Now, why do they believe that? Is it just something that they came up? And by the way, why don't Christians believe that? Why don't Christians know anything about Rosh Hashanah typically? Because we don't consider ourselves Jews? Well, what, the, what is the case that I have been trying to make here? And I've made in my other classes. The holy days are not the Jewish holy days. They are God's holy days. And again, if you try, I'm going to prove it today. If you try to map anything into the Christian holy days, you'll get nothing out of them but commemoration of what has already been documented has happened. Not necessarily a bad thing. But never expect to get any more out of Christianity from those days than that. However, if you want to learn the truth, if you want to learn the timeline of history, if you want to learn God's plan, you will have to learn not the Jewish holy days, but God's holy days. We're going to talk a lot more about that when we get into Leviticus because that's where they're specified very distinctly. By the way, like I've said, show me in the Bible, or show yourselves in the Bible, where Easter or Christmas is detailed on what it is and how we're supposed to worship God in it. There's none of it. None of it. Because every time you point to something to show somebody what Easter is or what Christmas is, you're actually pointing to the holy days that God had appointed at the right time. And the birthday of Christ was at the appointed time with this Christmas star, which was not a star, that was signified, and he was actually born on Rosh Hashanah. There's a program I, I mentioned to you last week, a computer program called Starry Night. And I, I, got a, I got a couple of screen captures. 
I'm not going to have you draw that. But <laughs> what I want you to draw, Travis, is there's a marker. Did you get a marker? Draw, just put on the whiteboard the players at the top. The players. You know how to spell that, right? <laughs> he went to school. I sent him to school. We used to walk to school together, but that's when we was in the same class. I was graduated. He didn't. <laughs> Tishri won the first day of the first month of the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. The Rosh Hashanah is signified by the first sighting of the new moon. Now, if you know how it works, there are, it's, everything's in relationship to Jerusalem. And so what they would do, though, is they would have different people throughout history uh, and knowing when the first of the, the head of the year came up, because they didn't have atomic clocks, they didn't have the, the, the precise measuring tools to watch as the heavens rolled out, but they knew the precise, they knew the precision of how the heavens, you know, the, the cycles of the moon, we know them too, and they, but they didn't have the precision of, of ways of knowing exactly when things happened to the minute. So what they did was they would take rabbis, and they first want to see the new sliver of the, of the sliver, the first sliver of the new moon, that would signify when Rosh Hashanah would take place. And, and, and that's basically how they used to look at it. In 4004 BC, on the equivalent, as the Starry Night program shows, on September 25th, 4004 BC, if there were stars, remember, those weren't created yet on the birthday of the world, but if they were in a position, if they were, had been created, the new moon of September would have been over Jerusalem on that day. This means that Adam would have been created on Friday of that week, and God would have rested on the seventh day of that week, which would have been what day? Sunday. This is what the Starry Night program mapped out. Makers of Starry Night have no religious uh, affiliation. This is a program that uses the accuracy of computers and timing you know, of the program to map stars throughout history because everything God put in motion has an exact sequence. There is no change in the order. That's how we can predict or roll back to any point in time and know exactly where stars and planets would have been from our point of view anywhere around the world, but especially Jerusalem. Anybody ask? Did I say? Yes. Well, what about um, how would the flooded tilted the axis of the earth and all that? Like, wouldn't that affect the stars? No, not really, because it, it's, it's so little as compared to the stars, it doesn't really change the point of view uh, because they're so far away. But it's a good, it's a good question because I thought of that too. But it really doesn't change it. This, this, this the, uh, the seven, uh, sorry, uh, this, the Sunday, uh, Saturday, sorry, did I say Sunday? Saturday, I'm sorry, Saturday, my mistake, thank you for correcting that. Uh, microphone, it's Saturday, sorry about that. Sunday would have been the first day of the week, and it's in my notes correctly, I just said it wrong, thank you. Keep me honest, that's what I'm married for. <laughs> the Hebrew calendar, is it based on the Roman calendar or the Gregorian calendar that we're so used to? No, it's not. It's based on the calendar God gave to them. It's also based on, this, on the cycles of the moon and the sun. It's based on a lunar and solar calendar. Isn't that interesting how God gave them their calendar, which is based on the progress of these two heavenly bodies. Isn't that amazing? By the way, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. When does the day start as far as the Jewish calendar goes? Sundown. Sundown. We don't do that, do we? Our day starts at Midnight doesn't matter where the sun is, but for them it matters where the sun is. So, matter of fact, I'll just read this to you. Genesis 1.16 says, God made two great lights, the greater light, which is the sun, to govern the day, and the lesser light, the moon, to govern the night. And then it says he also made the stars. So we've just seen how the most important 
features for the Jewish calendar, the moon and the sun govern the timing of days and, and the stars lay out the mapping of the years or, or the cycle of the, of the years. Turn to Genesis 49. Genesis 49 and verse 9. See, we are looking at the Bible today. <laughs> at this juncture, we're breaking into the story of Jacob. Everyone knows or should know. If you don't know, we'll explain it. But Jacob is whom? The father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he is at the point of his death. At his death, he's giving a blessing to each of his 12 sons. They haven't had any children yet, really. They're just starting to ramp up. They're just, who knows what they're going to be doing. But he's on his deathbed, and he is blessing each of them. And, of course, all of this is recorded in history, and in history, in, in Scripture, and, of course, for a purpose. As you're turning, as you're probably already there, but as you're turning to Genesis 49 and verse 9, out of which of the tribes of Israel is the line of the king? Judah. Benjamin is, has some physical kings in it. That's true. And so I, but I, I meant was the line of the king of, of the universe. Of Jesus, yeah, the sign of royalty, right. Uh, and that's actually a very good point because it's really the sign of royalty that's the key. So as we, as that's a very good segue into reading Genesis 49 and verse 9 and 10. Here's the blessing that Jacob gave to, uh, sorry, yeah, Jacob gave to Judah. It says here, you are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches. Now, I want you to remember the term. I want you to vision, envision in your mind, and don't forget this because this is going to be a key factor as we roll along here. He says, like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. There's the crouching lion. Verse 10, the scepter, which Sue is basically what you were talking about. What is a scepter? Anybody know what a scepter's job is? The king, the king, has. The king has a scepter. It's the symbol of rulership. Right, but it also signifies the judgment. That's true. That's true. In one, in one instrument. Yes, exactly right. And the perfect ruler or, the, or the, um, the perfect status of a ruler would be not only to present law and to enforce it, but to also give judgment to those who do not obey the law. So you're absolutely right. It's, it's both rulership and uh, kingship and rulership and judgment. And that's very good. That's a very good point. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Now, he's saying this a very long time ago. That also implies if it will not depart, it's already there. It's not that it will become or will come through or be given to Judah. It says that it will not depart, which makes me assume it's already there. Now, this is at a point that is already past the beginning of the world. Remember, there's a lot of history, a lot of truth God gave, which was given by Scripture, by written, by written who knows how, when people wrote it, to pass it down from person to person, from Adam and Eve and then Seth and Cain and Abel and all of those. This is very, very detailed. And if you remember, even though this is the very beginning of all of the 12 tribes of Israel, it is at the point where God had made it very clear to those who will be in the line of the nation of Israel, you must remember and write down and understand everything you learn. And that is why, even today, we went through the history of the Dark Ages. A lot of data, a lot of information was destroyed by Muslims, by the way, in the Dark Ages. So what we have passed down are st still a lot of folklore, 
is a lot of undocumented, if you will, but, but well, doc, semi-documented because the documents didn't make it through the Dark Ages, but a lot of the rabbis, a lot of the Jews, a lot of the devout men and women of Judaism kept record because God made sure his word and the other ancillary history that supports his word would come down through, his, through time. Well, Jacob knew a lot. He knew a lot because this is still fairly close to the beginning of the world where God was giving all of this information. There's a lot of prophecy here, and so he's making sure the prophecies are understood. So when he talks about the scepter of rulership, he knows what he's talking about. This is not just an old man, crazy old man, laying his hand on each of his son's heads saying, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, and it doesn't happen, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. This man had a very close relationship with God, and he was told specifically what each of his sons and their line and their lineage was going to do. And this is why... It is here in Scripture. And so it says here, It will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from what? Between his feet. Remember the crouching lion. Between his feet. This lion is not standing up, crouching. That's why I said to remember that. It will not, uh, the ruler's staff from between his feet until, until he comes to whom it belongs. Are you reading this with me? Do you see it? So he's prophesying that his son Judah will have many, many progeny, sons and daughters and so on after him, or through him. Great, 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 great grandchildren. But this line and scepter of rulership and kingship will not depart until it gets to someone in particular. Was that King David? No. Did he even know that King David, he knew of this king, but he did not know who King David was, he didn't know the exact lineage, but he was there. Some of the translations Yes, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Matter of fact, the Amplified Bible puts it this way. Again, you, very good point. I like, when you, I like comments, so keep them coming because it, it'll either correct what I'm thinking if I say something and I don't realize I said it wrong, or most importantly, it'll, it'll bring to bear something that's important to be brought. So please, keep, keep the comments coming. Yes, we're going to talk about Shiloh. The Amplified Bible, which, remember, I said, watch your translations. You should always use more than one. You should, especially, I like the Amplified Bible. There's other versions. I'm not saying anyone's right or wrong. I'm saying some of them don't have all of the information. And maybe one day, and I did this in my Revelation class, I'll tell you of a verse that's not even in the NIV that's in the King James Version. And there's a couple of other differences like that. Having said that, the Amplified Bible puts Genesis 49, 9 and 10 this way. Judah, a lion's cub, with prey, my son, you have gone high up the mountains. The mountain. He stooped down. He crouched like a lion and like a lioness who dares provoke and rouse him. The scepter of leadership shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh, until Shiloh, and it says in brackets, brackets the Messiah, the peaceful one, and I put in there the Prince of Peace. This is what the Amplified Version says. Until Shiloh, the Messiah, the peaceful one, comes to whom, capital W, it belongs, and to him, capital H, shall be the obedience, be obedience of his people. You don't see any of that in the NIV, do you? Watch your translations. Shiloh is mentioned in Scripture as an assembly. Say again? Okay, that's fine. If you have a good study Bible, that's fine. It'll tell you. 
But if you don't, or I'm just telling you, if, if you need, if you want clarification, even beyond study notes or in conjunction with study notes, and I'm glad you said that, get yourself a good study Bible, but also look at the Amplified Bible and look at the King James, the, the old, you know, the standard. Look at them and compare, and, and God, the Holy Spirit, will certainly help you understand better. better more sources are better than, than one or two. Shiloh is mentioned in Scripture as an assembly place for the people of Israel where there was a sanctuary containing the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you all know, should know what the Ark of the Covenant is. If you don't, I'll just briefly tell you. The Ark of the Covenant was sort of a box with poles in it that it could be carried with. and It was, it was God's dwelling place. His Shekinah glory would dwell there. And there are two cherubim, two angels that, cover, that sit on top of the box and their wings touch. It's called the mercy seat. This is the Ark of the Covenant. And there were things in there like the Ten Commandments, Aaron's budding rod, and some manna all in that box as a symbol of all God's provision, that he is the beginning, the provision, and the end of everything. And that ark, by the way, is yet to be found, and they know where it is, they believe, and it's going to go in that third temple. That's the last piece of the puzzle that has to be found and put in the third temple, and it was hidden. By the way, if you've seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom... <laughs> that's where it is. That's the, yeah, hey! Is it all? Oh boy, imagine, I've got to go through all those scarabs and, and, and skeletons fighting me for it. Isn't that interesting, by the way, how the movies depict this wonderful thing as the Ark of the Covenant as everybody's fighting for it, even the demons? What does God say about Jerusalem? What does God say about the Temple Mount? It will make those who fight for it, it everybody will covet it as, as if drunk. As if, but it'll be a cup of trembling to them and it'll be a stumbling block, just like Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Shiloh was the place of, of where Israel would gather. It was an assembly place, and it was the home of the Ark of the Covenant until it was actually taken captive by the Philistines from the battlefield at Aphek. So I want you to understand that just like people, the Ark of the Covenant, or Christians, or it, was, it was supposed to be the Jews, was, is the dwelling place for God. Christians are the dwelling place today for God. And Satan's desire is to have you and take you captive. He may not even be able to destroy you. He didn't destroy the Ark of the Covenant. It will be found. But nonetheless, his desire is to take it and run. This is the thing throughout history. He's always tried to accomplish that in the Jews. He's tried to accomplish that in us. And the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of where God lives. And that's why you and I are called what? The Temple of God. And in the real temple, there was the place called the Holy of Holies. What was in that Holy of Holies? Anybody know? The mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. And how many people were allowed to go in there? One. And how many times a year? Once. And what did they do to that person who went in there, which was the high priest? They tied a rope to his ankle and put bells on his prayer shawl so that if they heard the bell stop ringing, they know that God killed him because he did something unholy and they had to be able to pull him out because no one could go in there and get him and live. This is the, the intensity of where God lives and how he's jealous and how he wants where he lives to be holy, by the way, today. That is us. That is how important it is. So let's now move up to the next strata of heavens. We talked about the sun and the moon a little bit. We talked about uh, the scepter and where it is in, in, in Jacob and, and in the, in the, with the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to look at, let me go back into the stars and look at the zodiac again. Hopefully I've set this for you so your mind is on this Leo the lion, which is one of the constellations. I'm going to have you draw something in a minute, so stand by. <laughs> Remember, the scepter is already there. It's already there. And it is now being weighted to be passed down to the one whom 
shall keep it for eternity at the appointed time. Lion, uh, Judah is the crouching lion, and you know the thread here. The Hebrew word for lawgiver, remember it says that the, the lawgiver shall not pass from his feet? Whose feet? The lion. By the way, did you know that the Hebrew word spelled or, or sounded phonetically for lawgiver is regalio? Regalio. There are two things we're going to talk about right now. Leo, the lion, the zodiac of Leo, or the constellation of Leo, and Regulus, the star. Regulus, the star. You've heard of Regulus, the star? Don't some, you've probably heard of some aliens in the past, may have said, you've heard people talk about aliens that say they come from this planet in the, in the star system of Regulus. You see how Satan needs to use these signs that God puts there and gives them names for his own purpose to keep people off the scent. Think about that. Regaleo, Regulus and Leo. In the dictionary, well, we can, we can contract that. The root is Regaleo or Regal, or regal meaning royal. In the dictionary, regal means pertaining to a king or pertaining to something royal, the regal power, befitting or resembling a king, stately or in a state of being stately or splendid. That's what regal means, regal, regalio. I want you to draw, um, see if you can draw a lion with his paws out like that. <laughs> I should have had you start on this already. Yeah. Just, you, come on. Just, all right, here, let me show you. Give it a shot. Look. The stick figure, yeah, just go like this. Here's the head, here's the ear, all right? Here's the, here's the big mouth. Here's a leg. And that's why I wanted him to draw it, so I don't want to Okay. All right, so this is, this is Leo. I'm going to make him look mad. Okay. Put a, make that an O, will you? Make that an O, all right? Come on. Now, fix that for me. You say you're not a drawer. You can't be scared. You someone asks you to do something, just do it. Don't be scared. Um, it's not the scepter of rulership, I'll tell you that. That's supposed to be between his feet. <laughs> By the way, while he's drawing that, when I ask you to draw a star, you could just draw a dot. I'm not worried about that. Regulus is in the constellation of Leo, and it is the brightest, highest magnitude star in the constellation of Leo. Did you get that? Regulus is in the constellation of Leo, and it's the brightest star in that constellation. Do you think there's any coincidence to that? Now, listen to this. There, the, um, the definition of Regulus from dictionary.com. I figured I'd look these things up just to see what the general de definition is. In astronomy, number one, in astronomy, it's a, a first magnitude, like I said, a first magnitude star in the constellation of Leo. In the field of metallurgy, in the field of metallurgy, the metallic mass that forms beneath the slag at the bottom of a crucible or furnace in smelting ores. B, an impure intermediate product obtained in smelting ores. Now, all I'm saying is that if you look at this, this is something probably to do with the refining process. But it also says that it is the first magnitude star in, in the constellation. I just want to give you a flavor for what the definition of is of Regulus the star. If you didn't like his drawing, I have one for you here. <laughs> Actually, it was my drawing, so laugh at me. Don't laugh at him. <laughs> Thank you, Travis. <laughs> 
This is an actual screen capture, and it's in my notes, so everything you see here, other than that, this will be in my notes. Um, so if you want to take a, look, a closer look, plus it's in color too. So. And I don't know if this is over Jerusalem or not. It doesn't really matter. The point is, is that you can see Leo. Here's the terrain. Here's Leo, the constellation. And here's where Regulus, between his paws, would have been. Now remember that. We have Leo and Regulus between the paws of Leo. Remember, as the Earth moves, the stars change their, their position. But Regulus never leaves the constellation of Leo. It's always circulating somewhere very close to where it lands between his paws. And every so often, it comes back from anywhere on the world, but especially at a certain time of year or, or the yearly cycle from the point of Jerusalem. That's another proof, by the way. Everybody said, well, some people say, well, it took millions of years for God to create the earth. They say, well, no, it took six days. And some people say, well, it could be six million year days or a thousand year days. No, because now if you look at God, his timing is in the stars. This is a cycle of stars on a yearly basis. We can get down to a day by knowing where the stars are. Now tell me, could a day be 10,000 years? A day of creation be 8,000 years? No. Because you can see that God tracks his creation by the heavenly bodies, and we know that we can time them day by day. That's the answer. Very simple. Now you know. If anybody comes to you, an evolutionist or somebody who, th who thinks they know an awful lot, says to you, well, you know, creation didn't happen this way or it happened that way. No, here's why, and you can prove from Scripture. What I'm trying to also prove to you is that you're paying attention here. God makes it very simple. This is not rocket science. It's just you have to know it. And you don't have to go figuring it all out with all mathematics. Why are you laughing? On <laughs> rocket science. Oh, I didn't even catch. That's a good thing. I... You know, I should, have, I should be that smart to say I, that, I meant that pun. Yeah, I meant that. I like that. I never thought about that. You get a hand for that one. I never thought about that. That's really good. Who, who named all the stars in the constellations and all? I mean, God. How did they know? Because it got passed out. You know, Job, which is an ancient, ancient book, and they were, they were be, named then. You know? Yeah, but because Job knew, well, Job knew it. That's why God, actually, that's God speaking. But that's my point. That's, that's a very good question. So if you look at the history, again, when God created Adam and Eve, he taught them directly. And he taught them not only what it was to be a human being, and he had to tell them what they were there for. He also gave them an understanding of the whole panorama, panorama of the 6,000 years of history that human beings would be involved with. And as the first king of the world, remember he was told in Genesis to subdue the earth? As the first king of the world, he was given a lot of inside information about God's plan. And so he was taught directly, and he was taught all of that. You ever hear the Pillars of Enoch? I'm not going to get into all of it now because it's not, it's not secret to what we're talking about, but just to give you an example. When they knew, they also knew that there was going to be judgment, once by flood and once by fire. They knew that way before Noah, way before the tribulation. They knew it. So how did they, uh, but they, and they must have not only known it, but they must have been so concerned that they preserved this down for history that there were two pillars set up. One was made of brick and the other was made of stone. Now this is in their infantile, untechnical way of trying to preserve history because they didn't understand how, what, how this was all going to roll out. They made two pillars and inscribed on those pillars was all of the knowledge they knew about the heavens, about the detail of what we're talking about, and some history up until that time. And the reason why they did it, 
as progeny of Adam was because they wanted to say that the first, when the first deluge hits, which would have been a flood, the other pillar would, would survive it, hopefully, so that between the flood and the fire, other people would have a history of what happened, what is going to happen. Do you see the desire for persistence of understanding? That should answer the question of who knew this and how they knew it and what was passed down. Yes? Yeah. Right. And exactly the point to that, too, is you notice how all of that information has been persistent. We even talk today about the history of all of these mythologies. You study them in college. People know about it today. People are concerned about the Mayan and the Egyptian calendar ending in 2012. There's a want for a persistence of understanding. And that's what happens when you twist understanding and you make a line of information that comes, that's, comes off of the real truth. People will follow that. And they wanted to know it, and if they know that in their own minds is truth, guess what they're going to remember, and guess what they're going to teach as history? Guess what they're going to follow? What's so funny now? Oh, I like that. That's good. You're going to draw on some more. A conjunction of Regulus has to be between the paws of Leo. The re- and the scepter shall not depart from Leo. When did that first happen? On September 25th. 4004 BC. If the stars were already created, it would have happened then. It can be tracked right back. A conjunction is when two heavenly bodies, two or more heavenly bodies, are so close to each other when you view them that they look like they're just about one. That's what a conjunction is. By the way, there's a separate sub quote unquote science called conjunction astronomy, which I was reading about. They actually have a science because people know that when conjunctions happen throughout history, Particular instances or particular historical events happen. And by the way, that can be tracked with these conjunctions. And maybe in a future class, it'll have to be soon though, there are more conjunctions. There's a triple conjunction coming up in 2014 and then 2015 on Passover and I think Yom Kippur. If, if um, he's not here, if uh, uh, Rick was here today, he, we would be, because we talked about that and we actually have information that we're sharing on that. So. Just be careful you understand that this is not baloney. This is truth. And this is deep truth that it's not that difficult to understand. And God uses it and it will come again in the future. Draw me a little star between his paws. <laughs> right toward the back. Toward, toward his chest. Just a little star. No, between his feet. It's got to be between his feet. Yeah, right there. That's good. All right. And that's Regulus. Draw a little tiny planet off to the, lift, off to the, off to the north and east, just a little bit, just the other st- of the star. Right, almost closely where it almost touches. Almost touching, yeah. That's Saturn. Leo the lion has Regulus between his paws, and Saturn is in conjunction with Regulus. Just remember that. Now that we've seen that Saturn is conjunction, in conjunction with Regulus, to complete the scenario... Is that why Saturn's Saturday in the... Yes, the Saturnalia, that's what, we, that's what we're going to get into. We've got 10 minutes. Absolutely, you're 100%. See, now it's starting to gel. Saturn throughout mythology, just like Jupiter. Ever hear of the god Jupiter? Saturn? Why do gods, why are these two gods named after these two planets, and why are they so prominent in mythology? Because they're prominent in God's truth. And they're two indicators. Saturn and Jupiter are two main indicators in, in this plan. I'm going to, we're going to get to that, but I just want you to see, we're building the case, because this is important for you to understand, and then we're going to, we're going to move on from this. The scepter of rulership. Okay, now remember, the scepter of rulership is already considered to be between 
the feet of Leo. That's Regulus. But guess what's very close to that scepter? What planet? Come on, we just drew it. Saturn. Saturn. To complete the scenario of the passing of the scepter of rulership, we have to have the scepter pass from Saturn, the king of the world, to Jupiter, which is the king, the final king of the universe. Jupiter at the time of this, at the time of this, where Saturn is in conjunction with Regulus, now you're going to have to imagine this because I'm not going to draw this all here. I'm not going to have him draw it. So, sorry, you can, you can just stand there. You can put a chair there because I want to draw it. <laughs> Um, is coming out of Pisces. So if you're looking at the stars moving, Jupiter, which figures into this, is coming out of Pisces. Now, anybody know what Pisces is? The fish. The fish. Do you know how they're connected? They're opposite, but they're, they're tied together by a ribbon. I have a picture. That's what it would look like. This is an old picture, but I couldn't find one that really showed it. But if you look at the constellation, you'll see that the, some of the stars are here, some of them are here, and there's some going this way. It's these two fish, Jacob and Esau. And what does scripture say about the two of them? One was grabbing the heel of the other, but the blessing was on Jacob. See? Messiah, Jupiter, is now coming out of the twins, coming out of the twins, and he's now moving toward Aries. Aries is what? In, 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 in the zodiac. The lamb, the ram. The story is being told that as the scepter of rulership is given to Adam, the first king, in the constellation of Leo, where the king resides, Messiah, Jupiter, is on his way out from being born out of Jacob, out of the two twins, out of the tribe of Judah, making his way to become the sacrificial lamb. Does it make sense? Does it make sense to you? Does it make sense to anybody else? I didn't make this up. I would love to have made this up, but I can't. Please turn to Numbers 24, chapter 1. I want you to, I want you to write, uh, on the right-hand side, write Virgo. Just write. You don't have to draw anything. Virgo. Numbers 24, chapter 1. Pisces has long been related to Israel, as I told you. And also, what are we related to in the gospel? What are we? Jesus told his disciples, I will not just teach you to be, what were they? What was their job? Fishermen. They were, right, they, they caught fish. They're fishes of men. Pisces, two fish, the line. You see how the line goes from fish to fish? How do you think the Christians got the, got the symbol of the fish? It's not just because Jesus took a fish and fed thousands with it. The symbol of the fish came down from Pisces all the way through the line of Judah, through Jesus, through today. You see how this looks? So Jupiter is making his way through Aries to gain the scepter. That's why Messiah had to be one that was sacrificed, the perfect sacrifice. And what is the picture of sacrifice in Jewishness? The lamb or the ram. When Abraham was going to sacrifice the son of promise, which was whom? What stopped him from doing it? And what did happen right after he, the angel said, see that you don't harm this son, your son? What was in the thicket? A ram. a ram. And what's been the symbol of the sacrifice? What has always been sacrificed at the temple? And what is Aries? A ram. And what is Jupiter making its way from being born out of Jacob into Aries to become the sacrifice on his way to going to, to be in the conjunction with Leo? 
You're at, you're at Numbers 24. In the days of Moses, the ki- in the days of Moses, right, king, the king of Moab, Balak. Remember Balaam and Balak? Remember the story of them? Balak was trying to get Balaam, a prophet, to curse Israel for him. He was going to pay him to do it. And, every, and he was going to do it. Balaam was going to sin. And what happened every time Balaam tried to curse Israel? What happened? He could only speak what God told him to speak. He could only, the only things that could come out of his lips were blessings for Israel. Even though he's trying to say, curse Israel, he's like, I bless you, Israel. So that's the setup. Here's where we are. I want you to listen to this. Numbers 24, chapter, uh, verse, chapter, chapter 24, verse 1. Now, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not, because he had tried a couple of times already, and he failed because God made him bless Israel. So when he's finally getting the hint here, and he says, okay, please the Lord to bless you, he did not resort to sorcery as at the other times, but, but turned his face toward the desert. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, now he's looking at Israel encamped. Okay, he's looking at his people. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he uttered this oracle. Listen to this. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eyes see clearly. This is not talking from the standpoint of a man who would have been paid just to curse Israel. He's now his eyes see clearly. The oracle of one who sees. And go down to verse 5. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob. He's looking at the encampment of all the tribes, but he's specifically in his mind wondering about the beauty of Jacob. Jacob, okay, the father of all of this. Are your dwelling places, O Israel, like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river. He aloes plant, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars behind, beside the waters. And he's complimenting them. Now listen to this. In, in, in verse 8, God brought them out of Egypt, so he's reviewing some things. Go down to verse 9. Now you got the picture. Balaam is looking over all of the tribes of Israel, and God's making him see with clear eyes the beauty of what came out of the loins of Jacob, which is one of the fish in Pisces. Okay, tie this together. Verse 9. Like a lion, they what? Crouch and lie down. And like a lioness, who dares rouse them? Many who bless you, or may those who bless you be blessed, and may those who curse you be cursed. Where did we hear this before? Back in Genesis. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've done nothing but bless them three times. Isn't that three times? Isn't that interesting? Three? And now, I, leave it once and get out of here. Will you just go home, Balaam? I can't stand this. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Now he's saying because he didn't sin, now you're not getting your reward, Balaam. Move down to, um, okay, move down to verse 14. Now I am going back to my people, Balaam says, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in days to come. Balak was, was of the line of Saturn, the physical kingship. From Adam and through Nimrod and Babylon and all the history in Daniel about all of the Gentile rulerships, they're all in the line of the, the physical king Saturn. Jacob is the beginning of the line of the virtual king, the new king, the coming king, Messiah. Do you see how this fits together? Then he uttered this oracle in verse 15, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, whose oracle of one whose eyes see clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God and who has knowledge from, knowledge from, not knowledge about, knowledge from the Most High, and sees a vision from the Mighty. Verse uh, 17, I see him, but now... 
I behold him, but not now. I see him, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. So he's talking about way in the future. A star, a star, a star will come out of Jacob. Do you think that this is an accident? He knows what's going to happen. A star will come out of Jacob. A star will come out of Pisces heading towards sacrifice, the, the ram. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the sons of Seth. Go down to verse 19. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. The day of the Lord. That's what he's talking about. Is this making sense to everybody? This is the deep study of Scripture. Let's get down to the brass taxi because we only got a couple of minutes. At the birthday of the world, September of 4004 BC, there's a triple conjunction of Saturn and Regulus in the constellation of Leo, right? Jupiter is coming out of Pisces, going toward Aries, making his way, making his way. At the birth of Jesus Christ, and this is where we're going to wrap up today. At the birth of Jesus Christ, September 30th at 3 BC, Regulus, between the paws of Leo and Saturn is not there. It is now Jupiter right next to Regulus. Nine months earlier than September is what month? December. Why, what was the pagan holiday that you said it before? But, what, but you said it before. What is it based on? Saturnalia. What has been told to the Christian church from Constantine all the way down is forget about the truth with Jupiter being between those legs. You observe Christmas. Yeah, you know it's pagan, but you observe Christmas because that's still Saturn between the legs and the scepter with the, with the scepter of Regulus. Do you see what Satan wants to do? He wants to mask the truth even through Christians. You all knew that Jesus was not born on December 25th. You all knew that, right? You all knew it. Yo, it's true. It's true. Because he was born nine months later. When Jupiter was in, in conjunction with Regulus, Jupiter had the scepter of rulership. Yeah. How does that map into a lot of what you hear is that he was probably born in the spring because of the census of what People take, say a lot of things. It doesn't map into it at all. Yes. It, yeah, if you look, at, I don't know. I, you, I don't know. All I can tell you is that this is the mapping of the stars that shows. And if you look at the way it works, it does, who knows? I mean, you want to figure it out, find out and let us know. It doesn't matter what people say and what folklore is. It matters what the truth is. And if we saw how that was mapped and how we see that even Balaam and even Jacob knew about constellations and Balaam himself said that a star will come out of Jacob. Do you think that he just used the term star because he just felt like it was something great? Or rather than saying a man or a God or something, a Messiah, he said star. Because they knew this stuff. Now you know it too. That's really it. So let's talk about the Magi. What do you think they saw or they knew to anticipate? Yeah. December, what? It's this, December 25th. What, do you know how September 25th was, was given as the day for Christmas? The day to celebrate Jesus' birth? Constantine. Constantine who became the father of Christianity, which is the lines of the popes really that came through him. When he, when, he, when he conquered Rome, he had to unify all the people who worshipped the sun and everybody who worshipped everything else. So he, and he had to unify the Christians, and he himself said he was a Christian. He made that day, that was this, but that was the, the pagan holiday that he figured was big, and everybody, if he could, that's how he was going to unify his kingdom. He said, you know what, everybody just worship on one day and we'll all be friends. Isn't that what they're trying to do today? 
Because that's what I was thinking yeah. too. So we'll all be friends. Meanwhile, they're oh, gonna rule, yeah, it's okay. a point of rulership. <laughs> so when the Christians started saying, okay, you're a Christian, Constantine, we'll just do what you said, what they actually were doing was, how do you think the Saturn, Saturnalia holiday fell on that day? The winter, it's not just the winter solstice, it's because they were watching the stars too because of the mythology. Right, and they had to make it close. But that's why, again, if you look at what Satan wants to do, he started with Adam and Eve saying, Adam and Eve, you don't need God. You can be kings and queens. You can rule the universe. Of course, under me. And that's when sin happened, was when Adam decided he was going to be boss. But he was the first king of the world. Satan has been trying to use human being and human government to thwart God's plan of God's government. Ending up with Jesus, he wants it to end up with the Antichrist as the second king of the world. And that's all from humanism, Saturn, going all the way through. Does that make sense, everybody? Study it. My notes are posted on my website. You have it all here. Think about it, look at it, and understand, and then we, next week we're going to start moving forward in Genesis. I just wanted to build this long but very deep foundation. Now, last question. Having known all of this, would you have any problem with when Scripture talks about miracles and signs and, and demons and, and, and God creating and God knowing everything and God's timing being perfect? You can't, but you can have less of a problem with it if you know the truth about the history that has been hidden. We won't be afraid of it either, especially when the signs of deception come, which are coming very soon. Have a great week.